0: Section 6 of Mornings at Bow Street by John White. This LibriVox, according, is in the public domain. Inching it Backert Two apprentice boys in the service of a very respectable tradesman in Museum Street, together with a little night walker, were charged by an Irish watchman, with kicking up a great big row and clatter. At Charing Cross at half-past twelve o'clock in the morning, and what was still worse, with laughing at and using bad words to the said watchman, when he very civilly told them to be off his bait, and moreover and above, with inching it back hurt in the teeth of him. And pray, what is inching it back? Hurt? asked his worship. Fate, your honor, and this it is, replied honest Mahoney, shuffling his feet backwards, inch by inch. His worship observed, that he had never heard the verb inching used before and therefore he was asked for an explanation i suppose you conjugate it i inch thou inchest he inches i inch thou inchest he inches don't you mr mahoney your honor knows the rights of everything replied mr mahoney and the case proceeded it appeared that the two lads had obtained leave of their master to go home for clean linen and had taken that opportunity of taking a twelvepenny peep at the Wonders of Ashley's Amphitheatre, and that, in their return to their master's house, they were picked up by the little night-walker, that she, being known to Mr. Mahoney as a noisy customer, he told her to go off and leave the lads alone, whereupon she traded Mr. Mahoney with some abuse, and the lads taking her part. They were all three carried to the watch-house, The worthy magistrate read them an excellent lesson on the impropriety of their conduct, and prevailed upon their master to forgive them. This done, they were discouraged, and the lady was sent to Bridewell, she being well known as most depraved and disorderly. Mr. Humphrey Brummel and Terence O'Connor Mr. Humphrey Brummel, a tall, gaunt old gentleman of pedagogish, exterior with each particular hair standing on end like quills upon the fretful porcupine was charged by mr terence o'connor a covent garden watchman with having been extremely disorderly under the piazzis piazzas during the night the magistrate inquired as to the nature of his disorderliness and mr terence o'connor explained it to be spashing to the lads and frolishing his stuck around like a merry andrew it also appeared that he continued these eccentricities from midnight till four in the morning claim contrary to all sorts of dandancy and therefore mr terence o'connor lodged him in the watch-house mr humphrey brummel in his defence said he took shelter under the piazza from the inclemency of the weather and it was very possible that whilst there he might have endeavoured to cheer the loneliness of the hour by an audible repetition of some appropriate passages from the poets but he was totally unconscious of offence and he solemnly declared that living instead of spotching to the lads he stationed himself in a doorway far apart from every living soul and that had not mr terence o'connor been so over officious he should have gone quietly to his bed and his worship would not have been put to the pain of listening to such a frivolous charge and please your worship exclaimed mr terence o'connor he says he's got an act of parliament in his pocket well lay me by my heels and i hope your worship will make him prove his words i will do my best replied his worship smiling and at the same time asking mr brummel what act of parliament he alluded to lord love you sir replied the tall old man i never alluded to any act of parliament but i did threaten to report him to your worship for sleeping on his post it is true o'connor that you really do sleep whilst on duty asked his worship only that time i got no sleep in the day replied the night guardian blushing as intensely as a fresh-washed monster potato you are both fool and knave mr o'connor observed his worship a knave for sleeping when you are paid to keep awake and a fool for wantingly bringing this complaint against yourself mr humphrey brummel was then discharged without a fee and mr terence o'connor was dismissed with an assurance that was watching should be watched in the future and that he should be suspended if caught napping cupid and chambers a pretty little aquiline-faced gazelle-eyed damsel was brought in by one of the st clement danes constables charged with creating a riot in the chambers of Mr. Snuggs, of Clement's Inn. Master Constable knew nothing of the alleged riot, save and except what Mr. Snuggs had told him, and so he was ordered to stand aside, but Mr. Snuggs himself told a long and lamentable story of the sufferings. He had endured from the fair prisoner, he had originally engaged her as a servant to attend to the domestic department at his chambers but she took advantage of his partiality for her services and made the chambers too hot to hold him as it were she disturbed his studies by her loquacity she lived intemperately she set him at defiance she got her relations to help her to prosecute him and if he only attempted to remonstrate with her she raised the whole neighborhood about his ears he concluded by expressing a hope that his worship would put a stop to her doings the magistrate thought there must be something very strange in all this for what man of any spirit would suffer the serenity of his chambers and his mind to be so disturbed by a little gypsy of an abigail when he himself might his quietus make with a bare warning he therefore put a question or two to mr Snuggs touching the partiality he had spoken of mr Snuggs replied afar off somewhat approaching to the obscure but not so the fair troubler of his peace and his chambers she gave his worship to understand in good round terms that she was the veritable mamma of sundry little Snuggesses and that mr Snuggs was neither more or less than a gay deceiver she denied that she had ever kicked up a row in his chambers. She had merely told him of his faults and his failings, and she hoped his worship would not think of separating her from her children. The magistrate immediately dismissed the charge, the damsel smiled triumphantly, and Mr. Snuggs, like a tall elderly gentleman as he was, stalked out of the office, sighing, as who should say the gods are just, and of our pleasant vices make instruments to scourge us florence o'shaughnessy this was a proceeding wherein one mrs florence o'shaughnessy sought perfection beint the law again the thumpings a heroine lawful husband mr felham o'shaughnessy of the parish of st giles laborer felham o'shaughnessy was a clean-made curly-padded good-tempered little fellow in a new flannel jacket white apron and duck trousers his wife, Florence, was about his own size, no white behind him in cleanliness, very pretty, and she had a voice, plaintive as a durl doves. "'And plays, Your Honor,' said she. "'This is fellow O'Shaughnessy, the husband to myself, that was when he married me, and is bearing the baiting he gave me yesterday, just for nothing at all, Your Honor, that I knows of, only that he listens to bad folks, the neighbors of us, and bad folks.' They are sure enough, your honour, for that same. And your honour be pleased just to do me the kindness, to make them hold their pace, and not be after taking away the senses of my own husband from me, to make him look upon me like a stranger, your honour. For what would I be then? Poor Florence would have gone on murmuring forth her little griefs in this manner by the hour together. If this worship would have listened to her, but the office is crowded with business, and she reminded her that the warrant she had sued for charged her husband with having beat her and she must confine herself to making good that charge if she wished to have him punished for so doing your honour said florence with a low courtesy it is isn't myself that would hurt a hair of the head of him only that your honour would hear the rights of it and tell phelim that he shouldn't be after baiting me for the likes of them and there he is to the floor your honour for that same The magistrate found it would be vain to think of hearing the rights of it from Florence, and therefore he asked Fellam what he had to say to it. Now Fellam was a man of few words. He had listened calmly to all Florence had been saying. And it was not till the magistrate had twice put the question to him that he left off smoothing his dusty hat, and then, looking steadfastly in his worship's face, he replied, "'Ach!' it's all about the three pence a penny, Your Honor. It was Saturday night when I gave her every farthing of the wages I earned that week, and so I does every Saturday night, come when it may, Your Honor, and when I asked her on Monday morning to give me three pence a penny, to get me a pint of beer and the little loaf, because I was going to a long job in the city and didn't know what time I'd be back to my own place. She wouldn't give it me anyhow, Your Honor, and sure, I did give her a clout or two. But you would not do so again, I am sure, Fellum, observed his worship. You should remember that she is your wife, whom you have vowed to protect and cherish, and besides, you know it is disgraceful in any man to strike a woman, especially in Irishmen. You must give me your solemn promise, fellam, that you will not strike her again sure i'd be abased if i whooped her again your honour replied phelim when i just thought of a scheme to do without it it's only keeping the three pence a penny in my own pocket your honour and i'll have no occasion to bait it out of her at all the bystanders laughed at the scheme of phelim's and even the magistrate smiled as he good-humouredly told florence that though he believed her to be an excellent wife he thought that she was a little too hard in refusing her husband such a trifle as threepence half-penny when he was going to work so far from home. Florence smiled also, but there was a thoughtful sadness in her smile, and when the laughter had subsided, she told his worship that it was not the coppers nor the bit of abating Felham had given her that she cared about. He had hearkened to bad tales about her, she said, and had sworn never to be good to her till she said two words to him. His worship asked her if her husband supposed she was untrue to him. She replied that she did, and implored the magistrate to let her swear to her fidelity. His worship told her he was sure there was no need of any such ceremony. Felam said he, "'has too much good sense to listen to any idle stories about you.' "'Still, however,' Poor Florence would not be pacified, and snatching the Gospels from the table. She pressed the sacred volume fervidly to her lips, and then, raising her eyes, she exclaimed, So help me, God, that, barring Phelim and myself, I don't know man from woman. All this while Phelim stood hanging down his head, and fumbling at the buckle of his hat in the simplest manner imaginable. For shame, Phelim," said the magistrate, as Florence made an end of her oath. For shame, Phelim! how can you stand there and see the distress of such a wife without coming forward and assuring her of your confidence? Give her your hand, man, and comfort her as she deserves. Phelim stretched forth his hand. Florence grasped it almost convulsively, and raising it to her lips, all chapped and sunburnt as it was, she kissed it. They looked each other in the face for a moment, burst into tears, and hastily left the office arm in arm. End of section 6.